You are listening to the Sermon Podcast for Triumph Lutheran Brethren Church. Our vision is to see the life and message of Jesus transform hearts, homes, and cities. Wherever you are, our prayer is that God would meet you and that the life and message of Jesus would transform your life. To find more resources, go to triumphlbc.org. Well, this morning, as we, uh, as we dive into, uh, into the Word together today, we're going to be, again, we're, we've begun a new series in the Gospel of Mark. Now, here's what we're going to do for the year. We're going to be going through the entire Gospel, not every word of the Gospel, because we don't have enough time in our year to cover every word of the Gospel of Mark, but we are going to be covering the Gospel of Mark throughout this year, and uh, in that we're going to find uh, many different movements within the Gospel of what, uh, what the writer is, is leading us towards, and as we begin our series, we are looking at this idea of who is Jesus? Who is this one? In fact, the, the phrase that we have, who is this, comes, and we'll have it in a few weeks as we watch Jesus calm a storm, the disciples ask themselves, who is this? Well, today, as we, as we begin, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, and uh, before I read the text, I just want to paint a couple uh, pictures for us. Not actually paint them because I am not a good painter, but I will describe a few pictures for you. If, by the way, if you, if you have a Mark book, this is the Gospel of Mark uh, in, in a single book uh, that you can carry with you. It's got the text on one side and room for notes on the other. If you don't have one, they're on the table out there. I'd encourage you to grab one uh, on, the way, on the way out today. Because what we've done is we've given you an opportunity. You'll, you'll know there's a sticker that you can have in there so you know every single text that we're preaching every, uh, every week when you come to worship. And then there's an opportunity to kind of process and, and kind of Prepare yourself coming in one day leading up into Sunday. You can prepare by reading the text and interacting with it. Bring this with you when you come to worship, and you can add notes or whatever you want to. And then sometime in the next few days, there's a a guide that helps you process what you've learned as you've gone through the text and interacted with it three three different times. Well, a couple of ways that we uh, encourage you to prepare. One is kind of for those of us who are more analytical. I'm kind of an analytical person, right? So... I want to read the text and I want to answer some questions. Well, we've got some questions you can answer about the text. Uh, Maybe some of you, the the, the third option that's listed there has to do with summarizing. Read the whole text and then take on the challenge of figuring out how you can summarize the entire text in one sentence. No run-ons allowed. Can you accomplish an entire summary of the text? But the second option that's listed is for those of you who are a little bit more in the artistic world and kind of have more images and are more creative. It's what image comes off of the page. So maybe it's a symbol, maybe it's a a picture. For me, there are two pictures that I would love. If I was a painter, if I was an artist, I think I would draw or I would paint these two pictures. The first one I would uh, probably just entitle like coming to the king or something. But the image would be of a, of a house that is so full of people that, the, that all you can see going through the door of the house is the heads of the people, and people are spilling out into the sidewalk. And as they're standing on the sidewalk outside this house, they're, they're, they're leaning in to try to hear the words that are coming outside, coming from inside the house and coming out. And then there would be standing off to the side, standing looking at this crowd, there'd be four men carrying another man on a stretcher. Thinking to myself, how am I going to get in there? 
That'd be the first uh, image I'd love to sketch out. The second image, which we're going to get to in just a minute as we, as we read this text, the second image, I think I would just, I think I'd just call it rise. This, this picture would be the moment that the man swings his legs off of the stretcher. A man who has been paralyzed and, and can't walk, who is told to rise, take up his bed, and go home. Can you imagine being that guy? Jesus hasn't touched you. All he said is, stand up. Do you do it? Do you try? Like what? How? You look around, all of the people, this is a crowded room, and all of the people standing around staring at you. You know these people, you've seen these people, some of them have helped you, maybe as you've done your begging to try to survive and live in the world, some of them have mocked you, and now you're going to try to stand up in front of all of them. What if it doesn't work? Are you going to be the laughing stock of the town again? That moment, that's the picture I would paint, the moment that the legs come off. And then you can about imagine him, the joy across his face as his legs move as he stands and he picks up his bed and he walks through the crowd, the crowd that was so packed tight that they couldn't get in, he's now doing the excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me thing on the way out and the crowd separates as he walks right through the middle of them. This one who has never walked now walks out carrying his bed and works his way out of the house. Those are the two pictures that came to mind that I would, just, I would just love to have been there to see those two moments. What's your images? What do you see? I encourage you to spend a little time as we come in each week looking at the stories, putting yourself there, and seeing the work of Jesus. But let's read the text today and let's look at it today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. If you have your Mark books with you, we're looking at page 12. Okay, we're going to be going through this, uh, this gospel of Mark in chapter 2 today, verses 1 through 12. So here we go. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. What do you want from Jesus? What would you want from Jesus? Our, our story to get, to, today begins with a deep wish from a man who wanted something from Jesus. If only Jesus would heal me, I'd be able to walk. This wish drove this man. And he went to incredible lengths to have his wish granted, his wish fulfilled. I feel as though Mark uh, is the king of understatements as he describes this story. In what's simply described as the four men ripped open the roof, just pause for a moment. Look what this man did. He's a paralytic. He lays there. He can do nothing on his own. So he finds four friends to help him, to pick him up, carry him because he thinks there's a chance that this man could heal him. They get there. They can't get in. The four men might have said, well, sorry, we tried. He says, no, 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 we're not done yet. Take me up the stairs. In these early homes, there's stairs outside the house that goes up onto the roof. So they drag this man on the cot upstairs, and then when they get there, they rip open the roof. They start pulling it apart. And they didn't make a hole. They made a hole large enough to put a human being through it. I mean, we're not talking a little hole. We're talking a big enough hole to lower a human being, a cot, through. Can you imagine being in that room? Hearing the wonderful words of Jesus while the roof is falling in on you as debris is going everywhere and wondering, what is going on? This man went to great lengths to have his wish brought to Jesus. Because he wanted to be healed. And he wasn't the only one who did this. If you look back at chapter 1, the crowds are, are, are pressing in on Jesus. Everywhere he goes, he is mobbed by people. There are people bringing every kind of disease, every kind of, of sickness. They're bringing demon possession to like everything you can imagine. They're bringing to Jesus because they want him to do something for them. If Jesus can only heal me, if Jesus could heal my child, they come to Jesus with their deep wishes. What's your wish? What do you wish Jesus would do for you? Do you wish he would give you career success? Do you wish that he would Bring physical healing to your life or to a loved one. You wish you would bring financial rescue. Maybe restored relationship. 
What's your wish? If Jesus would only. But unlike so many other times that we hear about and read about from Mark chapter 1, this story takes a little bit of a different turn. In this instance, Jesus looks past the deep wish of this man and looks to a deeper need that he has in his life. The man has been lowered through the ceiling. He is now laying on the floor in front of Jesus, people spreading out to make room for this body to lay on the floor. And Jesus looks at this man and he simply says, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine being there in that moment? Can you imagine the incredible disappointment he probably felt? Can you imagine the disappointment of the four guys up on the roof? What do you mean his sins are forgiven? Yeah, yeah, that's all good, but that's not why we came. Jesus, I can't walk. Like, that's why I'm here. What do you mean my sins are forgiven? That's great, thanks. Can I walk out of here or what's going on? I wondered in this text if the scribes had never questioned in their hearts why is it that this man is saying he can forgive sins, would Jesus have gone on to forgive him or to to heal him? I mean, it's a point that really doesn't matter because he does. But I've wondered that. Would Jesus have stopped and said, your sins are forgiven? Thanks for coming. And then the four men have to work their way down from the roof, back down the stairs. Now they actually have to push their way through the crowd, find their friend, pick up their friend, and bring him back through the crowd, still paralyzed. But when the wish isn't granted, but the deeper need is addressed, do they leave rejoicing or do they leave disappointed? And it led me to that very question. Wednesday morning, I remember thinking to myself, wait a minute. When I come to Jesus with my deep wishes, and if his only answer to me is to remind me that my sins are forgiven, do I walk away rejoicing that my sins are forgiven or disappointed that he hasn't given me my wish. Because I come to Jesus with a wish, but Jesus addresses the deeper need. He solves what I need, not what I want. By the way, you parents, you know this really well. You know better than your kids. They would beg to differ with that, but it's true. Right? You know as a parent what your kids need and what your kids want. And you know when to give them what they need instead of what they want. No, a bowl of ice cream at 4.45 before supper is not going to be a good thing for you. It will fill you up and you will be full of non-nutritious things and your body needs nutritious things. 
And I know that fills, a bowl of ice cream fills you up because ice cream became dinner for us once or twice this summer. I know it's fully capable of filling a child up. But you know better. You know that they shouldn't watch that movie, and so you say no. You know they shouldn't have that piece of technology, or they shouldn't have access to those things because it's not good for them, so you say no. Jesus looks at this man and he says, child. He says, son. But the word he uses is the tender, close relationship word for son. My child, your sins are forgiven. Jesus plays the role of the parent and says, I know what you want and I know what you need. And I'm going to give you exactly what you need. He says, your sins are forgiven. But he looks beyond the deep wish to address the deep need, but he goes a little bit deeper yet and addresses a deepest desire for you and for me. We have a desire for a savior. See, here's the thing about a savior. A savior is one who comes along and rescues us from a current condition and brings us to something better. We look for saviors all over the place, all the time, because we know that the current condition that we're in, the place that we are, is not where we want to be. It's not where we want to stay. We want to go somewhere else. We want something better, and we need to get there. So we look for a savior to bring us there. We look for political saviors all the time. A political party, a person, a a specific leader is going to bring us out of the horrible place that we are today and bring us to this wonderful utopia. We look for, we look for saviors in, in our status, in, in who we are, right? Because if, if we're successful, if we're seen as popular, one that people want to spend time with, it rescues us from this boring, mundane life that we live. And it brings us to something more exciting, more purposeful. We look for a savior in our relationships. We, we feel trapped in a marriage, and so we begin to look for a savior in someone else's arms. Or we look for the one-way relationship of a screen. And it saves us from the trapped relationship in which we are in. We look to be saved from our singleness by looking for someone, anyone, that would love us. We look for a savior in ourselves. Right, we can pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and by picking ourselves up and working really hard, we can solve the problem in which we are in today. Or if I can get just a little bit of help, then I can take it from there. I just need a little bit of help to get out of where I am so that I can, under my own strength, move forward. And I can save myself from a current condition that I am in. And if you watch the crowd, I find this fascinating that the crowd is captivated. They are hanging on every word from Jesus. I'm willing to bet most of them came to Jesus for healing. 
It's why the crowds were following him. And yet, as he's in this home, as he is doing his teaching, they are hanging on every word, wondering to themselves, is he our savior? Is he the one that is gonna rescue us from our current condition? We have a need for a savior. And Jesus looks at this man and he says, I see your wish and I know your need. But I will address the deepest desire to be your savior. As Jesus looks him in the eye and says, child, your sins are forgiven. Jesus intimately knows the weight and the pain of those words. Because as Jesus looks and says, your sins are forgiven, those very sins are now placed upon him. And he feels the weight of the casual words that we hear of your sins are forgiven. He knows them personally. He says, I will be your savior. Jesus isn't our miracle worker. He's not the one that we go to when the problems are just a little bit too big for us to handle, so we bring them to him and say, now fix it. Jesus isn't our genie. He's not the one that grants every wish that we bring to him. Jesus came to be our savior. And it led me to one other confession. In fact, I wrote this one in my Mark book. I want from Jesus more than I want Jesus. I want from Jesus more than I want him I want him to solve and to fulfill my wishes. But thanks be to God that my father, he gives me what I need more than what I want. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you in the goodness of who you are and in your love for me, have come to be my savior. God, forgive me for the times in which I want what you do for me more than I want you. And God, the times that I leave disappointed when you don't give me what I want. Thank you for being what I need. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hey, I'm Pastor Doug. I, I just want to take a minute and to say thank you for downloading or, or streaming this content today. We at Triumph pray that it will transform your heart and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. I have three quick thoughts that I just want to share with you and it'll, it'll only take a minute. First, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd be willing, visit our website at triumphlbc.org connect and let us know how we can reach out to you. Or you can visit triumphlbc.org events to find an activity that you could jump into. Second, we hope that you see this content as supplementary in your walk with Jesus. Our, our digital content isn't really designed to be a replacement for belonging and engaging with a gospel community, whether that's here at Triumph or another church. And third, we invest a lot into producing this content and it's used to bless people like you and others all over our community. If this or really any of our other resources that you find online have been a blessing to you, would you consider giving? It's because of your generosity that we're able to continue creating and serving online. Thanks again and may the Lord bless you.